Hello, you there? Hello. Oh, God, thank God this worked. I felt like such a retard. Well, you are, but I felt like a bigger one. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I beat you to the punch already. I called myself a retard in the first six I, seconds. I, that wasn't even six seconds. You're so retarded you can't count six seconds. <laughs> that was, like, at least two seconds. Yeah, that's that's how I beat you. Like, I just have to beat you to the punch early. That's my strategy to get through this. It'll be the first time you got to a punch in your comedic career. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, for people that, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, you probably know who this guy is. He's the guy who says a bunch of cunty shit underneath every Facebook post uh, I've every ever written single in my life. one of them. <laughs> you know what? Like, I'm disappointed you don't have a more, like, flamboyant voice. Because this is, like, the first time I'm hearing your voice. It's like disappointing. You don't sound more fruity. Oh, uh, what? You, know, you can't actually hear your own voice. So what do I sound like? Because I realize we've never actually talked. You, well, you just kind of sound like a tough biker. So like, I can't even like shit on your voice or anything. Like I was hoping like every, what got me through all those like fucking awful insults you would leave is like, I would just picture your voice like being super fucking flamboyant and that would like make me laugh and get me through but now i don't even have that anymore so right well if you would have talked to me 48 hours ago the biker thing would have worked but i shaved my beard off so now i don't have the look oh now you just sound tough but you don't look as tough no i've been told by many people that i look like i'm 12 and you sound 12 so this works I hate to say this, dude, but you got, like, one of those faces that's just helped by facial hair. I do. I realize that now. I thought maybe in my older age I got distinguished and shit, but then I went all the way down, and I'm living to regret it. Like, fuck this pandemic. I'm having a facial pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like also, too, with the facial hair, like, you fit a certain niche on the internet where, like, gay dudes will just try to fuck you. Dude, gay dudes try to fuck me, and I don't think my girlfriend respects me as much right now. <laughs> yeah, like, every Instagram, like, picture is just, like, a dude thirsty for your fucking, like, dick. Like, I noticed that. I know, it's some dude and you. <laughs> well, I just say, I said you're handsome to fuck with you. These dudes actually, like, want to be in your butthole. <laughs> I think I'm so manly, they want me in their butthole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Some, like, I think some gay guys would, like, get off on, like, fucking the tough guy in his ass, though. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I do seem to get an alarming amount of men that try to flirt with me. It's kind of concerning. Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like, like, it's hard to be homo, like, homophobia is weird to me because, like, these dudes just want to fuck you. It's really a compliment when you think about it. I was just going to say that some people are weird about that. Like, hey, man, I ain't with that faggot shit. But to me, it really does wonders for my self-esteem to feel wanted. Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like gay guys hit on you in a special way where, like, no woman has ever said anything like this to me. And I want her to so bad. <laughs> right. Like, I get a, I've got a, I've had a decent amount of women, I should say, come at me, but that's whatever. That's normal. But when dudes do it, you feel like you're really doing something right. (laughs) 
Yeah, because you're like, wow, you know, like, like it, I'm not it, gonna fuck these dudes, and even if, if a woman came at me, I'm with someone. I'm not gonna fuck this woman, whoever comes at me. But just to feel wanted feels nice. Yeah. Plus, too, it's like what women feel like all the fucking time of their life. Where oh, I know. Just, yeah, I feel so have, cheap and used that I kind of dig it. Yeah, you can just have somebody want to fuck you, and then you don't have to fuck them back. It kind of feels powerful. Right. I mean, the fact that I could get fucked is pretty obvious, I should say. But the fact that you can get fucked, that's what I'm interested in. <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like I have to really, like, it's a specific kind of woman that wants to fuck me. Like, but you seem to have a, an alarming amount of women that do flirt with you. And I am curious about that because I haven't been around people that are like you all that much when it comes to that. So I'm kind of curious of how you pull women and when you started pulling women. Uh, it took a lot of years. Like, high school, fucking forget about it. Like, it was just, like, not happening at all. Like, I feel like, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but, like, doing stand-up comedy kind of helps get your confidence up. And then you're just, like, always around, like, uh, people all the time. You're always talking. So, like, it actually, like, strengthens your social skills. So, like, I actually just, like learned socializing through stand-up oddly and then that's just like what happened there (laughs) i think most cases for boys especially i don't think a lot of dudes really get laid in high school i think it's kind of a dead zone for most but i can only imagine you in high school the damage you did were you just that weird quiet kid that didn't talk (laughs) for me it was just like i couldn't even like like look at women so like i wasn't even like that was my main thing. I wasn't even like, I hope I can fuck someday. I was like, I just hope I can make eye contact with them one day. And that would be a, a step up. I just imagine you in a in a relationship and a woman's like, why don't you look me in the eye when we make love? And you're like, you don't even know the half of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like playing with a train. I, I picture your pickup line going in a bar and like you you talk about hobbies. You go up to a woman like, hey, do you like trains? And she just slaps you in the face and throws a drink at you. <laughs> yeah I, that's probably what would happen if i did that i don't you, know you probably get more tender reactions if you didn't say need a woman that likes trains <laughs> yeah then she just like invites me to an orgy and i'm like what the fuck is this <laughs> you just stand in the corner creepily i'm just like these guys aren't train enthusiasts they're just fucking her mouth <laughs> This isn't what I signed up for. Yeah, I mean, I'll fuck her now, but this isn't a train thing. But didn't you tell me that you did get some action when you were in high school? Um, That's what I want to hear about. I want to hear about the the angel that actually, you know, let you have some. Yeah, I probably got blown like once. Okay, how did that happen? Walk me through it. And to be honest, she didn't even finish like blowing me. She just was like, I don't want to do this anymore and left. So like... Oh my god, no wonder you're a comedian. Yeah, like that'll fuck you up because like you're like you're like finally it's happening. And then she's like, you know what? I changed my mind. And then you're how how long did she give you though? Uh probably like a solid two minutes. (laughs) You know what though? Even though she didn't finish you off, she gave you a great two minutes for high school. I'll be honest, like I was so like insecure that I was just like I'll take it. I got a two-second blowjob. Like, that made my life. I was still thrilled. <laughs> I'm thrilled for you, and I wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, and then, 
Yeah, then it was nothing until like I was about like 26. <laughs> what, what year of high school was that? Was that your senior? Uh, yeah, that probably happened like senior year. So you didn't have nothing growing up when you were trying to learn how to socialize. No finger blasting, no nothing. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, what the fuck? And then, you know, now it's like, now I've done like anal to a girl in a car that I don't know. And then I'm like, this is better than high school. <laughs> you did anal to a girl in a car that you didn't know? But we had just met like probably like five minutes before that. And then she's like, let me do that. <laughs> was this at an open mic show? Uh, yeah, it was like after a set. So like I count that as the best set I've ever had. <laughs> was this like another comedian or was this just an audience member? It was an audience member. Oh, that's fucking awesome. What You must have killed with your set that night. Yeah, like, that's the thing, too. Now I judge, like, killing on, like, different merits. Now it's like, if a woman didn't let me butt-fuck her in a car, I didn't kill. And that only happens to you, like, once every two weeks. Yeah, I'm like it when it comes to sexual activity. It's like once every 29 years, maybe. <laughs> Are you 29 or 28? Huh? How old are you? Uh, I'm like 28. I just turned 28. You're like 28? You don't know how old you are? No, I'm 28. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Fucking, so, but now you got semi-game somehow, but I don't think you know what your game is, but it seems like more women flock to you. Because I've seen, I've seen the comments, and I know some of which who you've tagged. Yeah. Well, Pretty I impressive, I got to say. I think, like, honestly, like, and this sounds weird, but, like, Facebook has, like, helped me more than anything because, like, people just like the stuff I post on now. So, like, and then it just helps people want to talk to me more. With you have the most inside baseball jokes about stand-up, though. It's amazing that more so many people get it. Yeah, well, most of the time it is just comics who react, but there's a few that learn about it through my stuff. And they're like, now I know about stand-up and I don't even fucking like it or want to do it. Thank you for your memes. Right. Like you say, uh, it's helped you socially, but like, I don't, I don't know if it helped my confidence uh, to do stand-up. I don't think it made it better. I think we have an unnatural amount of confidence to do stand-up, even if we're afraid, like something is wrong with us to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, for me, it's weird. It's like I'm insecure about every other aspect of my life. But like when I'm doing stand up, weirdly enough, that's when like I'm not as autistic as I am in regular life. It's amazing because in stand up, that's the one thing you should be insecure about because I've seen your act. <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, it's blind confidence. It is. It's completely blind confidence. And I, I have a different story because I didn't start out performing as a stand-up, I spent years and years doing music, which I still do music, but eventually I finally got the balls to do stand-up. So I spent years on stage anyway. So I think by the time I got to the stage for just stand-up, I think a lot of the nerves and fear of performing in front of a crowd went away easily because like, I was singing in front of audiences and singing in front of strangers is a lot scarier to me. Just talking would seemed easy as hell. Just be oh, funny, yeah. you know? And another thing with music, I think music is way more vulnerable because you're, like, singing about, like, experiences you've had, and it's not even jokes, you know what I mean? Yeah, it is. Like, I'll talk about the same things through songs and through jokes, but they come out in a completely different style. Yeah. Like, it's... the pain will come out funny in a joke, and it'll come out 
a whole other way with a guitar. And it's weird when you're doing music in an open mic show because like you're, it's usually just the person with a guitar. It's hard to get a band together. And then you're singing a song like with your pain and your emotions and you're just trying to sing your melody on key and you're trying to be in this moment. But at the same time, you got to be like, hey, shut the fuck up over there. I'm trying to sing something. <laughs> yeah. And then like, I don't know. Like, I feel like. And now you got to be like, hey, shut the fuck up. I got dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, you, you yell in a different way. You do. But it's acceptable to yell with stand-up. If I yell in the middle of my song, people are concerned. Yeah, you can't like go at hecklers when you're singing a heartfelt song about your life. That's true. That's true. I will. But, you know, that's just me. Okay, go ahead. Suck my dick anyway. This girl loved me. And this next song is about. <laughs> right. I hate you like I hate that whore. <laughs> yeah. Well, There's no whore. I just said whore. I don't know why I said whore. <laughs> One thing I wanted to talk to you about is, like, you just got fired from your uh, job. What happened there? <laughs> well, I have, to say the least, a problem with authority. And I think that goes into being a performer and especially a comedian. I think all of us have a problem with authority. <laughs> yeah. I think... All of us don't like being told what to do. That's why we like being on stage. That's why we like talking about what we want to talk about. We want to focus on us. We want you to shut the fuck up. We are controlling this entire atmosphere. And I think that kind of goes against us in regular life, especially with a job, if you have a big mouth like I do. Because I'm a very nice person. But the thing about me is I match your respect and I match your disrespect. So if I'm being came at by a boss in a way that I feel is disrespectful, I, without hesitation, will go right back at them and match their disrespect. And it's kind of fucked me a lot. Like, I probably got fired from, like, nine jobs this way, and I've quit two of them. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, I lost my job, my first job. I did eventually get a new job now, so I'm happy about that. But, like, I lost my job when this whole thing started, and it wasn't even because of, like, coronavirus. It was because I kept making memes at work. That is the most autistic shit I've ever heard. Yeah, and then, like, they found, like, my memes. So, like, I had to have a meeting with, like, because I was working as a janitor at a high school. So, like, they had to, like, sit me down. No, and you then... bury the lead. You worked at your high school. Yeah, the high school I graduated with. And, you know, like, I equate that job to. It's, like, all the pain and torment you felt the first time when you, just you get went to high reactions. school. But now you have to clean up vomit. That's the right. only difference. But your track record for getting laid going back to your high school with this job probably skyrocketed from when you were actually there. Not really. Like, high school girls still wouldn't fuck me. Oh, God. What was the point in even working there? That should have been your revenge. You should have came back and mowed all the pussy down that you could legally. <laughs> yeah, right? I feel disappointed that I didn't get to do that. But, like, they sat me down and they're like, so uh, we found this meme, and it was just like a blowjob meme. So I, Kurt, I had stop to... talking about fucking the stool between the hours of nine and five. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, you want to explain this? And then I was just like, it's funny, right? It's funny. And then, yeah, I lost my job. Do you want to <laughs> explain this? Well, that, that stool is a, a kinky bitch. Yeah, then it's just like, yeah, I was fucked. And like... That's the thing is like now when I'm like, oh, I was fired. They're like, oh, was it because of coronavirus? And then I just like nod my head. Yes, because I don't want to explain that I'm that much of a meme addict that that's what got me fired. Right. Yeah. 
just the idea of you being in your old high school still creeping out girls is hilarious. <laughs> uh, it's like the janitor on Breakfast Club. <laughs> you are not remotely that cool. <laughs> that janitor was a straight G. Oh, yeah. He was, he was cooler than Bender, and Bender was supposed to be the cool guy. You know, Bender wasn't that cool. I'm just going to say that. Like, Bender... You watch was, your fucking retarded tongue. He was awesome. I don't hate Bender, but, like, at the same time, like, I just kind of, like, when you rewatch that movie, he's a bit too melodramatic. One of my, my favorite movies of all time is that movie. It's top ten. Oh, yeah. I love Breakfast Club, but I feel like... Oh no! I feel like the best scene in that movie is like Emilio Estevez like admitting to ripping that geek's ass hair. That was some amazing acting. Yeah, like that's the one scene like that I think holds up the best from that movie. That entire movie holds up completely. You were insane, and you talked shit about Roadhouse on that one episode, and we (laughs) haven't even got to that yet. Oh, I'm not saying Breakfast Club doesn't hold up. I'm just saying that's the one scene that doesn't feel as like melodramatic as the others. Like I still love that movie. The one thing I can say maybe that could have been better about the John Hughes movies is maybe uh, Molly Ringwald could have not been cast in um, Pretty in Pink. Oh, well, you feel like she was miscast in that? I feel like she was. I feel like they made so many great movies together. I feel like they just threw her into that role, but maybe she wasn't. They could have maybe had a better movie if they cast someone new because it was kind of expected to have her. And that was kind of the last teenage movie really for them. And they kind of went out on that. It was good, but I feel like they could have put a better woman in there. Nothing against Molly Ringwald. Like like Elizabeth Shue or something? Something. I feel like um, Ali Sheedy probably could have played that role. Oh, I was just going to say Ali Sheedy next. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like also like his movies, like, you watch Sixteen Candles, and I, I love, I love Sixteen Candles, but then you just like realize there's some uncomfortable shit in that movie where it's like, uh, Anthony Michael Hall just like raped some chick in that, <laughs> like there's no, like, like that's just like what happened. Like, yeah, but that was totally fine, and I have no problem with that right now. If they made that movie today, I'd be like, yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like you gotta judge it by its like time and like. That that stuff was just like you could just have that in your wacky little teen comedy, and it wasn't like seen as a thing. Yeah, you know? I know one of the most boss moves in Revenge of the Nerds is when he goes down on that girl as Darth Vader. Is there any more gangster shit? Yeah, that's like his heroic moment. I that think is heroic, the- even by today's fucking bullshit Me Too standards. That was awesome, and it should have happened, and she loved it. So fuck off. <laughs> she was a dirty girl, and he knew it. Oh, you're going to get some messages, boy. <laughs> I don't, you can message me all you want to. I'm still in Facebook jail, so I won't see them. Oh, yeah, that's true. I had a, a message request that I didn't see for about seven months, and I sent it to you. It was a guy going on a long rant about, what was he saying? I was racist, or I was um, Oh yeah, um, I think, too dirty, or I was something. Yeah, I think they were like, it was like a Christian person. Yeah, it was about God, now I remember. And I don't remember the joke he's talking about. He didn't even say the joke. I don't, he was just like, you are godless and you're an atheist. He put all his, what he felt my beliefs were on me. He was like, you're an atheist and you don't believe in this. I'm just like, you don't even know my name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, when they don't clarify what the joke is, you're just like, what did I say about God? He's like, that joke about God was fucked up. And I'm just like trying to think back. I'm like, what God joke did I have? Yeah, and then you're just like, please tell me so I can make more of them, you fucking content. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Like this must have been a really solid joke, but I have no memory of it at all. And I think me not answering him probably got to him more because I didn't discover that message until at least six or seven months later. Oh, yeah. Like, so oh, me too, whores. Hit me up all you want to. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like you would just respond, but then you would just like, you'd end up having sex with them at some point because you'd wear them down with their charm. If I was single, I might, but I am not that. And my girlfriend is going to listen to this. I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she's good. She's a good uh, good aunt, as Jim Norton would say. Yeah, she knows that you uh, felt this way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at her house right now. She just went to work. I lost my job, so I'm just chilling, waiting for her to get back. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask, like, because you've been trolling me on Facebook for so long, like, I just wonder, was there, like, a comedian before me where you would say mean shit to them and it just didn't turn into, turn into anything and they just blocked you? Or, like, no, was there, was, there was never a specific comedian that I, it seems like I've targeted you in a lot of ways, and I probably have because it's fun. But I think I have um, just in general said snarky comments to comedians. Maybe I don't know them that well because I kind of immediately started hitting you with them. And you were just cool with it, and there's a flow to it. But there are some I've hit just in passing, and, uh, yeah, it didn't end well. They would block me, or they would be very offended at me, and I would just be like, I can tell you're going to make it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, comics are such pussies these days. Where They really like, are. Where it's like, they, how are you going to get better at comedy if you can't even take a light jab about my, anything? Like One of my just, favorite ones, this guy said something about uh, 20... I think it was 2018 when it happened. He said 2019 is about to be a whole lot better for comedy. And I just replied to him, um, you're quitting. <laughs> yeah, like that's not even like you're a comic and that joke. That was a solid him, joke. He set himself up for it. too. He like, did. He completely just fucking he was like a woman just fucking leg spread ready to go. And then as soon as I tried to touch it, he was just like, how dare you? I'd be offended if a comic didn't leave that comment. Right. If you would have said that post and I didn't say that to you, you would have felt like, what's wrong with me? I'd be like, oh, what the fuck? Did he not see it yet? <laughs> right. I feel like you openly set yourself up for me sometimes. Like, you know I'm going to twist this on you somehow. I know you're going to say something. Sometimes it's just like, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm waiting for it. I'm like, I, I hit post and then I'm like, he's going he's gonna to see this. The funniest thing is watching other comics try to do it to you and you play along, but I can tell even through text or through type form, I can tell that you're dead in the eyes. Yeah, well, I'll be honest, like I kind of I've decided you're the person who I let do that. So like you can't let everyone do it because then you're just a bitch. So like after a while, I'm like, all right, like and they're not as good at it. That's the thing. It's like you'll type back and you'll because you'll snipe back at me and stuff and we'll have a good back and forth. But I'll see you do it with random people. And I can tell I can see the non enthusiasm in your reply. Like you're, you'll play along, but I can tell you're like, I wish Jay was here. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I, I've thought about this so many times. It's like for you, I can kind of see like the merit of the comedy when you're insulting me. So it doesn't bother me as much. But like quality trolling. Yeah, some of these guys, they're, they're trying to be you, and that annoys me. Yeah, you, you could say anything. You'll be like, uh, yeah, I had a, uh, a good set, and someone will just be like, you're a faggot. It's like, where's the joke, bro? 
No, we have a long-standing relationship that is built on a foundation, and they have nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, I won't block or, like, be, be, like, that way towards a comic who does that. But, like, I won't be as enthused when I respond to it. That's about as far as I go. I can tell. I can read it and tell. Like, with me, it feels normal. And then with them, you're just like, I'm just waiting for my my real boyfriend to get here. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... I, you know, it's like, I feel like we're kind of like in an abusive relationship where like, I have like Stockholm syndrome and I'm just like, you know, he's like, he's not what you think. It's like, there's love there. Like I'm like a woman defending being battered. <laughs> I feel like we're like the uh, retarded Abbott and Costello in a way. Like, I feel like you were doing your thing on Facebook for a long time and then I feel like I was the missing piece to this puzzle because now we've become notorious on there. Oh yeah, like people hit us up wanting to like us to do projects together for that. Yeah, like there was that that thing that almost turned into a show. I don't know what the fuck happened with that. That was exciting, but then nothing happened. But yeah, people hit us up randomly, and it's usually with me. A lot of people saying, "How dare you make fun of this autistic boy?" And then I'm just like, "Fuck you," or I don't say anything. And then people hit you up. And say, how dare he make fun of you this way? And you're such a piece of shit. You don't even let him in that it's a joke. You just go, I know. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, so like, you just have like 50 people in the world that think I just make fun of retarded people. <laughs> yeah. Like I've had family members like hit me up and shit and go like, what is this guy's deal? You're like, you don't know him like I do. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Like some distant relatives in Puerto Rico. <laughs> this is a dysfunctional relationship because they're like, how can you let him treat you this way? And you're like, he's good to me. <laughs> I'm just like, you don't understand. Like, the thing is, like, I, I don't know. Like, You I don't see like what I, he says in private. <laughs> I feel like I hate myself so much that, like, I like when people are mean to me. It just kind of, like, it, it keeps my shame up. And I just like feeling shame. I don't know what it is. I think because of the old school ONA fan that we are, I think you just like meanness if it's done well. That's the thing. Like we said before, if you have no joke and you just say, oh, fuck you, like that's nothing funny. But if you can be funny with your mean angle, that's fun. Yeah, I kind of just want to be like your rich boss. Kind of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it's just like you have to have a funny angle. If people say you can't make fun of uh, autistic people, I don't make fun of autistic people. I make fun of you because I know how to make fun of you in a funny way. Yeah, and you're like not that... so dumb that you don't get the joke. Everyone else is kind of not in on the joke sometimes, which makes it funnier actually because I look like the villain. Yeah, well, for me, it's like O and A and like Tough Crowd. Like I was watching Tough Crowd in elementary school, and I think that just like shaped who I am as a person. Funny enough, I never saw Tough Crowd as a kid. Yeah, dude. Like, I would watch Tough Crowd in fifth grade, and I was just like, that's when I discovered Patrice O'Neill. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, Jim Norton, like, Nick DiPaolo, and, like, all those uh, fucking guys. Yeah, because you said you were listening to ONA pretty early, right? Yeah, like, in, like I'll be honest. Like, ONA was a bit later for me. It was, like, definitely in high school. But, like, I saw, like, a Jim Norton's Monster Rain first, and then yeah. like, I saw Opie and Anthony in the crowd, and then I was a big Stern guy before Opie and Anthony. I love like, Stern. Yeah, like when the years Artie was on was like, absolutely. 
Back I watch those all the time on YouTube. I'll just go down weird rabbit holes of old Stern with the Howard Stern TV show and just watch fights and all the shit when Artie was on. It's hilarious. Oh, yeah, it's fucking great. When and he attacked like... his assistant, that was one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> yeah. Or he fucking like... threw like a sausage biscuit at his head and just fucking winged it. <laughs> he threw a CD at like Sal. Do you know how mad you have to make a fat person for them to assault you with their food that they didn't eat? Yeah, like exactly. He's like, I'm really, I'm willing to risk this. The fact that Artie threw his food and ruined it says a lot. That would be like if he threw his heroin. You don't throw your heroin. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. But like, yeah, I saw that special and then I saw them in the crowd and then I just started listening to the show. Yeah. But then it's like. That's how I discovered him, I think, because I knew who Jim Norton was for a long time. And I think I watched his specials back in the day. And then I found out that he was on radio. And I think that's how I came across Opie and Anthony. Yeah. And then, like, you listen and it's just like comics, like, just trashing the shit out of each other. And it's just like, that's how I discovered Robert Kelly, too. And I think Robert Kelly is probably, he's in the top five comics I've seen. Like, he's killed harder than like most comics I've ever seen. Bobby Kelly is ridiculous. I just, he was, he's my top three favorite comics of all time. Actually, I'd put him in the top three. I discovered him from Torgasm. Yeah. It's just, there's something about when he, when he gets going, it's just like, it, it levels the room. Even when he's not going and when he's not like on a roll, there's something interesting about him, but then he just fucking steamrolls you. Yeah, and another thing about him, too, that I like is, like, his humility, where you can tell Robert Kelly has been through some shit in his life, and it just makes you want to listen to him. Absolutely. You could tell that just from his act, by his, like, you could see the underlying tone of anger and bitterness, which makes him funny. But, like, I've heard him on podcasts and stuff. I'm like, he would write one hell of an autobiography. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like the fact that that's not a show. Like, I would watch a show that's just Robert Kelly's childhood. Yeah, like I discovered all them from there, like all the Torgasm people. Aside from Dane, that's why I watched it. I didn't know who Gary Goleman was, who now follows me on Twitter. I've talked to him a bit. He gave me encouraging words when I started comedy. I still talk to him sometimes. Uh, Jay Davis and Bobby, I didn't know who any of them were. And when I watched it, I just remember thinking, because Dane Cook was the man, you know, he's still the man. But like when I watched Torgasm, I was like, these dudes are hilarious. But Bobby Kelly is a fucking phenom. Like I was like, damn, this dude's funnier than Dane that's true and i'm i'm a guy where i defend i used to defend dane cook against i still do i still love dane i even like his movies i love his movies there's nothing wrong with those movies and he even does those dramatic movies now which i dig yeah like good luck chuck is a great comedy yeah an employee of the month hilarious even despite the fact that jessica simpson's in it yeah and like they have a good chemistry in that movie and i heard he was banging her in real life Oh, yeah, yeah, he was fucking her. That's, that probably helped. Yeah, John Mayer tagged her, too. That was a good run. Like, she is a star like, fucker. She fucked that boy band dude. She fucked Dane. She fucked John Mayer a couple times, I guess. Like, she's all about the star fucker dick. You think she fucked Johnny Knoxville when they were doing Dukes of Hazard? Dude, you would have fucked Johnny Knoxville doing Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> I probably would Even though Johnny Knoxville looks like an alien, there's something that women like about him. Uh, yeah, there's some, I, I can see it. Like, I think, like, uh, there's something there. I don't know what, like, 
he's a crazy maniac who will shove things up his ass, but there's something where women are like, all right. Did he, was he like your spirit animal in the ringer? My name is Jeffrey and I like apples. <laughs> I actually, we, I have an old friend who's now a trans, which that's another story, but I lived in a, as you know, I'm from the ghetto basically. And there was this kid walking around. He had a bunch of tattoos on him and he shot a bunch of tattoos on me, but his name is Jeff. And uh, we called him Apples. And I was like, why do people call you Apples? Because he was actually like, he's mildly retarded. And so <laughs> we would, I guess his family made fun of him. They would always say, my name is Jeffrey and I like Apples. So they started calling him Apples because of that movie. <laughs> and then he tattooed an apple on his arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, that the movie The Ringer is like one of those movies where like I watch it and I'm like, Fuck, if only I was, like, an actor in 2005 and was slightly older, I could have been passed in that movie. And then you could have, well, I don't know, you wouldn't have the star power of Knoxville. <laughs> you got to remember, Johnny Knoxville is better than us in every way imaginable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got celebrity. He's got the looks. He's got, you know, he's got all of it working for him. You would have been, like, well, I, I wouldn't want to bend the lead. Like, I would have played just one of the regular retards. Right. Like, you ever notice that fat dude in the back of movies, that extra with the glasses and the curly hair? Oh, yeah. He's, like, in everything. Like, I Yeah, know he's, he like, the world's about. most famous movie extra. You would have been standing next to that guy. Oh, yeah. I'm not even, like, him. I'm just, like, next to the world's most famous extra. You would be, like, that guy's wingman. Yeah, I'm like a character extra. I'm not even a character actor. I don't I'm even think character extra exists, but we're going to make that a thing for you. Yeah, I'm inventing a new position in Hollywood. Exactly. You watch movies, you don't idolize Leo DiCaprio because you'll never be that good. But you look at the guy in the way far back that's out of focus and you're like, I could be standing next to that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm near that guy. I'm slightly off camera. You can probably see my shoulder. Right. And even that, that's pushing it. <laughs> yeah, like, Who's that like... guy in the background holding a train? How <laughs> yeah, does this uh, service the story in any way? One thing I want to go back to is like Opie and Anthony, because like I sent you a clip the other day of like Anthony Cumia doing Andrew uh, Dice Gay. Yeah. I, I, I just... heard a bit of that. I think I heard that before, but yeah, I, I listened to a bit of that. That's funny. He does a great Dice. Yeah, it's just like I couldn't stop laughing. And you know what helps? When I'm hearing Patrice laugh, it makes me feel a joy and I laugh even harder. I didn't even hear Patrice on there. I guess I didn't get to that part, but I heard the impression for a minute. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like that kind of helps those clips for me. It's like I, when Anthony Cumia is just on a roll, like with his jokes, and you just hear like Jim Norton or Patrice just like, howling it just makes you laugh that much harder yeah when i started i didn't even start yet when i was going to start stand-up i had about a week and a half before i started i went and saw chris porter at the funny bone here and i met um who's now like kind of like my comedy mentor despite his displeasure of being my mentor he is sorry but uh, i met him there that night he was the feature he fucking murders his name's bodacious works with dl hubley a lot and i told him a joke idea that i had before i started and my idea, which I never did, but I had an idea of doing a dice impression with a twist. But later I actually heard Anthony Cumia do this joke, but this was after I thought of it. So I kind of thought of it first and I wish I would have did it. It was Andrew Dice Clay as a pedophile. 
<laughs> and I was just yeah. gonna take his joke and just close with it, where I would be, I would do a bad dice impression because I'm not an impressionist, and I would just be like, I got my tongue up this kid's ass, right? <laughs> and then I go like, and he's looking at me like, do you know where my parents are? And I'm just like, <laughs> what's the difference? You know how boring it can be standing in line at the Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you realize. You're just going to repress this anyway. What's the big fucking deal? Pedo Dice was done on Legion of Skanks. That's what it was. I heard it. I was going to say Big J was involved, but I thought he was on like Opie and Jam or some shit. Yeah, it was uh, Legion of Skanks, and then like it was about uh, fucking a baby. <laughs> yeah, they fucking did the joke that I thought of, and it killed. I'm like, damn, I knew that was funny. I believe the line he says. Let's take it out of the incubator while it's warm. <laughs> right. Like, I, I so wish I would have did that now because then I could have laid claim to it. I just, that was my idea before I started. And I was going to close with it because I was like, if I open with that and it does not go well, that's going to be an uncomfortable six minutes. Yeah, that, that's the thing with comedy. It's like you think of so many bits. But then, like, someone will show you, like, something from 2006 and you realize it's a bit already that fucking sucks well this is why i keep my act very personal to me like i try to keep it as much to my experience as possible because i feel like if i'm talking about me that's not topical so you're not going to hear a lot of other people talking about that like one of the first jokes i had that killed that i closed with for like a year and a half it was about my sister who was given up for adoption and I found out that I had a sister given up for adoption when I was around 14. I didn't even know she existed. And I found out she was given up. And she's gay. And she looks like me, basically, without a beard. And now we kind of look the same because I've shaved my beard. But <laughs> she's like, wants to be a man. And that was my joke. I just joked about that. And I was like, that's not really a premise you hear too much about, like your sister being given up for adoption that you discover later, who's also like a a dikey stud like that's not something you hear everyone talking about so i try to keep it like that try to keep it as much to me as possible because then that makes it stand out more yeah like that's why i just mostly just shit on myself and like my autism and special ed shit because it's like he literally I, shits on himself on stage that's what he does yeah like i feel like if i do that he no brings one, toilet paper yeah i feel like no one's gonna like I mean, I feel like it's not something everyone else is doing, so like it helps to just do that. Are there other autistic comedians out there that we that are like known autistic? Because I'm sure a lot of us are, but you are like for a fact by the doctor we diagnose you retarded. Like, are there other ones? Uh, there are other autistic comedians. Like that's the thing. Now autism is sort of so mainstream that I feel like most people either have it or don't know they have it. But like. Yeah, there's like a few other autistic comedians who I know, but they we all talk about autism in a different way. So it's not like we're stepping on each other, like I, premises too much. I think there's a lot of autistic comedians. I think Jerry Seinfeld is probably a little autistic. Oh, Jerry Seinfeld is definitely autistic. Yeah, if you look at the way he's high functioning and he's very smart, but like you can tell like by his social cues, he doesn't really look at people too much. He doesn't want you to touch him. He's kind of like very set in his ways. Like, I don't like this. I'm not doing that. Like, it's very subtle, but you can kind of pick up on it. He's what? And he's a real ass dude. That's probably why he's so funny, because when autistic people get into something like you like trains and shit or whatever, like your focus zooms in so hard. I feel like he's zoned in on joke writing and that's why he's so efficient. Yeah, because like he's kind of blindsided by the joke and the structure and how to write it. And he's very militant. And I think that's probably worked to his benefit. 
he's the most like structured comedian of all time. Like it doesn't really get more autistic than that. He really is because some people will hate him. Like, oh, Seinfeld's not funny. It's like Seinfeld's hilarious. He might not talk about what you want to hear, but if you look at the way he's doing it, he's a fucking aficionado of funny. Like that dude knows how to fucking tell a joke. Yeah, like, and the comedians who are saying this, I've like, they don't even know like what a punchline is, and they've been doing it for four years. <laughs> right, and you're still trying to figure out what punchlines are, but at least you know the direction. <laughs> well, it's like at least I don't think I'm better than Jerry Seinfeld, so that's good. <laughs> there are very few people that could say that they're a better joke writer than Seinfeld. He might be one of the greatest joke writers of all time. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like another comedian who's clearly autistic is Norm MacDonald. Oh, for sure. That dude is a fucking wacko. And he invented, he invented trolling when you think about it. Dude, his joke that he tells about his neighbor, do you remember that joke? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I texted it to you. I, I'm sure that I thought you knew the joke, but it was so funny with the twist because it's such a long buildup to nothing. You don't see it coming. And at the end, when he hits you with the line, it's like, oh, man. I, don't, I feel like people need to know what we're talking about. Do you want to tell the joke? Uh, uh, I'm trying to, like, I, I, I know you sent it to me, but it's so long, like, that I would have to go through my text. But, like, yeah, it's, like, really long-winded. Like, then, like, you just don't see the pump. That's, like, most of his jokes are, like, he starts off in a very weird way, and then, like, it goes in these twists and turns, and then he just finally decides it's a stand-up bit at the end. Yeah, it's, like, the short version of the joke is he meets his neighbor, and his neighbor says he... He works in, um, what is it? It's like he connects dots. He says basically like, Norm, are you uh, married? He said, yeah. So if you're married, you have kids? Yeah. So do you have a dog? Yeah. Well, according to my calculations, you're a straight white male. He said, right on. And I went to my friend. I was like, I met my neighbor. What does he do? Oh, he does this job. Let me t- show you. Do you have a dog? He's like, no. He's just like, well, I think that means you're a faggot. <laughs> like, that's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, it's just like. And that's a shortened version. That's a very like, short that's... version. That joke went on for about a minute and a half more with no punchline, but it was so interesting on the on the way. I think Norm MacDonald is just a comedian who's comfortable with the idea of wasting your time, and then he decides. He did that for an entire special with the Hitler's dog. <laughs> yeah, like, there's something about watching him waste my time that I'm... That's what I want to see. I want to see him waste my time. He wastes it in a very funny way. Like, I can't remember what comic said it, but they said they saw Norm do two sets one night. He did one set, murdered the entire time from start to finish, wall to wall, laughter. He did the same exact set for the next show, dead silence for 45 minutes, same jokes. And he didn't give a shit. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if you're a comedian and you're not comfortable with silence or bombing, you're going to have a rough time. Well, Dave Chappelle said, if they're silent, that's not a bad thing. That means they're listening. Yeah, that's true. Like, I feel like when people are silent, like, I feel like, oh, well, at least they're still, like, giving me the time of day. Exactly. I just, I just didn't execute the way I should. But, like, yeah, you've got to get used to silence. If you're well, you're going to learn that. from failure in stand-up, especially. You can't be good and not fail. So it's all good for you, bad or good set you're gonna get something out of it you don't really get a lot from doing great yeah that's true when you feel great you're just like it feels like the world is sucking your dick and it's fantastic but oh it's the best i want the world to suck my dick all the time but you're not gonna get better if you don't fail and i failed a lot actually to be clear 
it took three sets of doing stand-up for me to become the phenom that I am. The first two were horrible, <laughs> but the third time I was fucking amazing. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like my first three sets, if I look at them now, are awful. But like, there's a certain energy with your first couple sets that, like, I kind of want that energy back now that I'm a little bit better. <laughs> let me let me ask you this: What was the first set you did? in front of a comedy crowd, not an open mic crowd, but a real comedy crowd that's there to see a show that you're on that they don't know they're going to see you. There's no open mic bullshit. It's a real show. It's packed and you killed. How long did it take to get to that? Uh, probably like a month. So you got on a real show? Whose show were you on? Uh, it was a bar show. It's a pretty well-known bar show here, but like it gets some like national headliners oh, and the stuff Cellar sometimes. Bar show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, I see you post about that a lot. Yeah, so it was a month in before you did that? Yeah, it was like a month in, and like that made me feel good because I'm like, for some, I don't know if you see this a lot, there's some guys where you just see them at open mics. Yeah, I know a lot of those fucks, and they all suck. Yeah, and then they have the worst attitude. Yeah, if you don't play their politics, they really fucking shun you from the community. I don't, I don't get along with very many comics here. There's like a select few that I like, and the rest can suck dick. Yeah, well, the thing is like, they have no power. So if you give them a little bit of power at an open mic, they abuse it. Comedians are so insecure, especially open mic comics. And if they get into a scene or some kind of club where they do some kind of annual open mic, they feel like they got power and they want to wield it because they're so insecure and have nothing. They feel like they can flex on you. And the thing is, like in my case, I came into that scene. This is how poor the community is for comedy where I'm from. I started doing comedy. I didn't realize until I started doing comedy that there was a comedy club within three minutes from my house damn really there's a real comedy club that's like four minutes from my door if i get in the car and drive to the comedy club i'm there in three or four minutes that's how close it is i didn't even know it fucking existed until i signed up to do comedy i was like there's a comedy club right here fuck yeah and then i completely <laughs> butted heads with the club and i wish that fucker burned down yeah, because it, of these insecure fucks, they just want to flex on you. But in my case, it was these glorified open mic comedians. I'm not going to name names because fuck them. But they they've been doing it for years. And this is like the biggest show they do, which is like 30, 40 people. And they do this every week. And then I come in there not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. And within three sets, I'm killing harder than them. And I don't play their games. So they don't like me because I don't play their politics. And I'm fucking doing better. And that's not a cocky oh. thing. That's a factual thing. That just, I seen it. This guy was like, oh, I've been doing comedy seven years. And I'm like, wow, right on. And it was before I started. And then within two or three sets, I was fucking murdering compared to them. Yeah. The, that's the thing, too, is if you're a new comic and you do better than someone who's six years in, they will fucking hate your guts. Oh, they do hate my guts and I hate them right back, but they just hate me because insecurity. Like I said, like I don't have a problem with anyone. If you have a problem with me, I don't like you, but I'm never, I've never been rude to anyone. But as soon as I go in that club, I just feel unwelcome. Like a fucking dark shadow has been cast, which is me. Like you come in, you're like, Hey, you're just playing nice. How's it going? But you just feel this loom in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like another problem is white nerds in comedy. Oh yeah. Getting, getting power like that because like, now they're thinking of all the shit that was done to them in high school, and they want to fucking be the jock who pushes you around. Yeah, and you know what's funny? You know about my track record. I do not have a history of doing white shows. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing, too. It's like, and this is just a fact, too. If you can't kill in a black room, you're probably not fucking funny. Dude, I feel so uncomfortable in front of a white audience. It's unreal. Like, it didn't, I didn't calculate it to work out this way, but it's like, since I started comedy, all the people in comedy, and it's never the clubs, it's always the comedians, all the comedians who have ever looked out for me since I started doing it are, have all been black headliners, usually really established, too, for some reason. Like, I got, I've been really fortunate to meet a lot of great people that are seasoned, legendary veterans, like uh, uh, fucking, you know, D.L. Hughley and shit like that. Like, I've met great people. And they are always the ones that encourage me. They're positive. But then, so it's like, they're the ones that have always hooked me up with spots. So I kind of started performing in front of black audiences a lot. And I didn't think about it. Like, it wasn't like a thing like, oh, I'm performing for a black room. Well, for me, it's it was not just like you're trying to be the white comic who does those rooms. It's just a natural thing. Yeah, it's like, I don't think about the fact that it's a black audience. I just fucking go up and do my jokes because I don't, I don't necessarily play racially that much with my material. But for some reason, the black audiences have always laughed at my jokes a lot harder than white audiences. So if I'm in front of a completely black room and I'm the only white person in there, I feel so at ease. Put me in front of a room that looks like me. I'm just like, this is going to be bad. Oh, yeah. Well, white people are the most uptight laughers. They are. Like, my friend has a joke like that. He does jokes. And then in the middle, if it's a white audience, especially, he'll go, like, I like you guys. You're just like, next joke. Yeah, like, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, there's, and they look to see if they should laugh, too. So white comedians are the worst, too. Like, white comics are so fucking weird. It's like, I do black shows. It's a good time. It's fun. People busting balls and shit. Like, I'll do an open mic. I'll be hanging out with the black crew of comics. And then I'll look over and see the white comedians. They're just, like, very aggressively staring into their notebooks, not talking to anyone. Kind of like you would be, in theory. (laughs) Well, my thing is, like, a lot of these comics sometimes give me a run for my money on autism. Yeah, it's like, it's amazing, because, like, the black comics, they're playing it loose, they're fun, they're just talking shit, and it kind of keeps you loose before you go on stage, because if you're kind of standing in the corner all quiet and shit, by the time you go on, you haven't been talking, your gears aren't rolling, but if you hang out with people that have fun, by the time you get on stage, you're already, like, rolling. Yeah, that's true, where it's like, I don't know, like, I feel like, for me, I've definitely, I've gotten better at that, where I'm talking to comics before the show, because it does sharpen your tools and your muscle where like now you're relaxed. And when you do your set, it actually goes better that you've been talking to comics. Yeah. And I don't want to paint a picture that I don't get along with any comedians where I'm from. There are plenty of comics who I see and it's all good, but there's definitely a group that I don't vibe with. You know what I mean? But there's always a handful of people that I see that are cool as shit. There are definitely cool people around me, but there's more people that I don't vibe with necessarily than I do. Yeah, man, it's it's hard. Like, I feel like for me, I try to get along with most comics because I don't know, like, how it's going to hurt me. But at the same time, like, I'm realizing that, like, I don't have to get along with every comic. There's going to be comics you don't get along with, and that's fucking fine, too. Exactly. And you can get a, you cannot get along with a comedian and have a great comedic uh, chemistry. Yeah, that's true, too. Like, like, I think Abbott and Costello, didn't they hate each other? Yeah, I feel like most comedy duos hate... We know for sure Opie and Anthony fucking hated each other pretty much after their first year of doing radio together. Was it after their first year? I thought it was like more like 15, and I thought it was later when they hated each other. Yeah, well, if you ask... If, 
if you listen to some some of the stories, it was like probably around the time Anthony Cumia got his divorce. That really fucked everything up for their personal relationship for some reason. That fucking whore took me for all my money. No, she really is a fucking bitch. Like, if you yeah. listen to that shit, it's hard to not fucking become a little bit of a men's rights activist. Right. But yeah, back to what I was saying before um, about the killing in front of a real comedy crowd. Uh, did you notice how, like, less depressing it was than an open mic? Oh, well, the thing is, like, because the people there aren't thinking about stand-up, because they don't do stand-up. Yeah, just they haven't been off. pressured to be there from their friend who guilted them into coming so they could perform and then watch a lot of bad sets. I hate to say this, but after a while, I think open mics kind of become a waste of time. They really are. I discovered that very fast. Yeah, where it's like, I'm not gaining anything from trying these new jokes out in front of comics who aren't going to fucking laugh at them anyway. Well, comics laughing at your jokes is never good because they're either laughing at you because they're supporting you, which is not very good because it's not an honest feedback, or they're laughing because it's not funny and they want you to think it's funny and they're being assholes. So either way, comics laughing isn't really that good. Yeah, you can't judge your set off that. You can't. And I, when I started, it was funny. Like I said, I was three times in before I got good. What I meant by that was I did two sets. I did an open mic at the comedy club that I realized was there. That was okay. But then I did uh, an open mic in a bar, and it was the worst set I've ever had in my life. To this day, it was the worst shit ever. The first place I did music in and the second place I did stand-up in was this place. And it was god-awful. Like, I had to stop doing performing for three weeks to emotionally heal. <laughs> and the guy I met at the Chris Porter show bodacious who's a fucking beast by the way follow him but um he gave me a guest spot i was like almost a month into stand-up comedy and he was playing the columbus funny bone which is in my opinion the best room in the entire country that i've been in and i've heard it's the best from a lot who know it it's a great room but he invites me to do a guest spot at his show and it's a packed fucking room it is filled to the brim all black people ready for comedy i've never done a real comedy show in my life i didn't even have material that worked like i did stand up twice bombed most of both of the shows didn't use a single joke ever again from those shows and i got this spot i'm like well if i'm gonna do comedy i better do it so he invites me up to the show i go it's filled i am terrified because i have done no material that works i've done this twice and this is a packed audience so i am fucking terrified to my core and I wrote jokes down, but I didn't test any of them. I didn't have time to do open mics and test this material for five minutes. So I was sure that this was going to go horrible. I got on stage. I had never done these jokes in front of an audience. And I fucking murdered. I did yeah, like five minutes of killer shit. And I had done none of these jokes before. And that day, Bodacious created a monster because I very quickly saw what comedy can be. Yeah, like, that's the thing when you first have a real killer set in a, like, actual room, that just, like, untames a beast where you're like, I need to feel this high every single fucking time. Oh, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. And think about how blindly, confidently stupid that was to do on my end. Yeah, like... Imagine doing that. Imagine being your third set in. You got a guest spot at one of the biggest comedy clubs in the country to a packed room. And you've got no material at all. Imagine going up there in front of a full house that way. Yeah, and killing. What's that? And killing off of that. Like that. Yeah, I fucking kill. That, that 
people like stick with you where like at least your first couple sets after that where you're like I just can't be stopped I'm the best oh my god dude it was the best feeling ever and then I immediately about a week later had a spot at that shitty comedy club and I had material <laughs> that worked so I did the set that I killed with at the funny bone and I went there where they saw me fail horribly and it was not good I went up there with that material that I killed with at the funny bone and just fucking slaughtered and just looked at everyone like, yes, yeah, suck all the dick in the world today. And I just fucking walked out. Yeah. Like, I just came back like Rocky. I was like, I'm back for one more, bitches. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is here, at least you didn't name names. But the people probably know you're talking about them. Oh, yeah. The I've, <laughs> I've had conversations with one especially. He's a glorified fucking over 10-year open mic comic who sucks ass. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous how unfunny this person is. It's amazing and he's supposed to be the respected one fuck off yeah, well, he had to talk to me he was like I think you're just overly confident like you haven't paid your dues like us and uh, whatnot. I'm like well one I don't really have to pay my dues to you I don't have to act any type of way towards you and also like I said I come from black shows you do not play insecure to that crowd if you play insecure they're going to eat you alive yeah, that that's true too. Yeah, like weirdly enough, I do I do pretty good on black shows with uh the autistic stuff, but I feel like because I'm explaining I'm autistic, they're like I can do insecure to them and it's fine. But if you're just a white guy who's insecure and you don't have autism, <laughs> yeah, playing insecure in front of a black audience is not going to go well. You need to be up there showing them why they're watching you if they don't feel like there's a reason they're watching you and you have their attention you're done yeah that's that that's true like you need a certain bravado it's not even a bravado it's just like a even if it's a false confidence you just appear to be cool in the sense of i'm not shaken by this i'm supposed to be here yeah i'm the only white person you don't even talk about it it's a matter of what you're giving off to them and they respond if you're giving off the vibe of like yeah there's a reason you're watching me there's a reason i'm here if you get up there yeah, like, that, oh, man, Uber, huh? <laughs> yeah, talking about the 10-year, the open micer lifers are, like, they're the people that are the problem in comedy because they don't want to see anybody grow or get better than them. They don't. It's all, and there's so, so much insecurity in comedy. You would think comedy would be like a happy-go-lucky place, but it is fucking dark. Yeah, they're like, I'll hold you back. It's like, why? Because I'm six months in and I'm enjoying my set. It's not my fault you've been doing it for fucking 12 years and you hate your fucking self. You look in the mirror and you go, oh, I guess I got to do another fucking uh, open mic at a fucking pizzeria that no one fucking goes to. Right. Worst set of my life was in a pizzeria. <laughs> yeah, it's in... Then they see a kid who's like six months in who feels good about himself and they're like, I have to fucking tear him down. Yeah, pretty much. And I think by the time I got into comedy, I was so comfortable being on stage doing music. I don't think I, a lot of the nerves, because they say a lot of doing stand-up to get good is just getting comfortable being on stage. But I spent so much time on stage, I think I was already comfortable by the time I did it. I was just doing a different medium on stage, but I've been on stage a lot. Yeah, uh we're actually all, like, the thing with this act is, if I go past, like, 59 minutes, like, it starts to cut me off. And we're, like, about at that mark. We're at 59.10 right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um... Should we tell people what we have planned? Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask. We should probably plug 
a podcast we're going to do together. Yep. As you can see, times are brutal. So not only am I doing this podcast with no sponsors and no audience with Kurt, but we're also <laughs> we're also starting a podcast together. It's going to be me, Kurt, and another asshole named Cal Verducci. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be called Opposites Attack because we're all completely different and we like to bust each other's balls. So look out for Opposites Attack. Yeah, I feel like our, our podcast with Cal will just be us enjoying a slasher movie that's fun and him hating it. Oh, yeah, it's going to be brutal. Yeah, like, I feel like our first episode of that should just be watching Devil's Rejects. Anyway, uh, great 